0: Uh, and with that in mind, tonight we conclude the book of James. Now, I want to tell you, I have enjoyed studying the book of James. And so as we prepare to dive in, let's pray together one more time. And if you got somebody close to you, uh, just lay your hand on their shoulder, or take them by the hand, and let's just bless each other. Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Word tonight. Let it bring forth much fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Well, turn in your Bible to James chapter 5, James chapter 5, and hold your place there. We're, gonna, we're going to conclude this series uh, in just a few moments, but let me kind of build upon it again and kind of just go back and just think about a few thoughts. The theme of this book, and tonight we'll see it very clearly again, is the importance of developing a faith that works. A faith that works. How many of you know there's a lot of people say, I believe, but their faith is not working. We're not talking about people who believe in their head that God is real. But believers who that word, you know, uh, if you believe, that means to trust in, rely upon, and cling to. Everyone say to trust in, to rely upon, and cling to. Believers uh, should have a faith that works. If people say they love God, and but their faith is not working uh, on any level, I would doubt the genuineness of their faith. Hello? Because there's a lot of religious people, but not, hey, how many of you know we're not talking about religion? We're talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that requires faith. And so we've seen that throughout the book, and it's a faith that works not only for us or for you, but it works through you. See, that's the key. A faith that works for you and a faith that works through you. That's what James, Pastor James, is endeavoring to get across to the church. In fact, we realized that the church had gotten a little, a little, uh, worldly minded, if you will. And so, because of that, James wrote this letter. In fact, it's the first, uh, uh, inspired word. I think it's very interesting to me that God chose James, the little brother of Jesus, to be the first one to write a letter that became the inspired word of God. And so uh, James' little brother, Jesus, became the pastor of the church. If you remember, James did not believe that, necessarily believe that Jesus was the son of God uh, until after the resurrection. And uh, if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, you re- it's revealed that the resurrected Christ Spent quality time with his little brother James. How many of you know the resurrection changes everything? I said the resurrection changes everything, and it changed everything in James' life. In fact, if you were to go back to the first look, what James says at the beginning of the letter: James, a bond of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no mention that he's James' little brother or Jesus' little brother. You know, the tendency would be to, to validate our identity. James, bondservant of God, little brother of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Uh, but, hey, he realized, hey, Jesus was not his brother. Uh, Jesus was his Lord. And so everything changed, changed for James. And he quickly became the pastor of the, the first century church there in Acts. Uh, he became very active in pastoral ministry. And then he writes this letter to the churches that uh, that had been birthed, if you will, through the scattering of the saints because of persecution. He says to the saints that are scattered, scattered throughout. Let's see what he says uh, uh, to the tribes which are scattered abroad. So they were just scattered everywhere. And James, there who undoubtedly was their pastor at one time, is still their pastor in a sense. It's almost like there was satellite churches, if you will. We use that term today. They didn't know what a satellite was back then, but uh, you get the concept, you know, uh, 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 just churches in other locations. And undoubtedly he had apostolic, pastoral uh, governance and insight to their life. And he writes this letter and it is, how stout is this letter? It's what? Come on now, I said it's stouter than <laughs> nine acres of mowed garlic. That's pretty stout, isn't it? Uh, I, you probably never experienced nine acres of mowed garlic, and you don't want to uh, because it's pretty stout. And it, and it was a stout letter. But when tonight, when we conclude this, you're going to see his heart, his pastor's heart, at work, and so. Uh, that's really the theme, and that faith is so important in every aspect of our walk with God now tonight as he, as we close this letter we 're going to look at, at at two main things that are on his heart. How many of you know when you're when you're saying the last words uh it 's not just how's the weather, hope you have a nice day. He concludes in matthew chapter five pardon me i, I don 't know why I said matthew, James chapter five. Verse 13. And I want us to read these verses. You follow along with me. And I'm going to show you two important priorities that he closes out with. Now, with all that has been said, it's like in verse 13, he shifts gears. Okay. He, he's, he's shifting gears a little bit and he's, he knows he's winding down and he wants to hit two very important topics. Okay. Uh, And so I'll introduce them to you. Here we go. Follow along. He asked this question. Is any among you sick? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Did I say sick on the first verse? When I said it twice, I realized I didn't say suffering. I think I better start over. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And some translations say, therefore, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. My particular New King James doesn't say, therefore, confess. But I think it's a good aspect that you could throw in. Therefore, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And Then he gives an illustration. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. And then he shifts gears again. Verse 19, brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And everyone said, amen. Two important priorities that James finishes this letter to this church are these churches that were scattered abroad. And the first one is this. Now, in the context of this letter a faith that works, a faith that works not only for you, but through you. He he ends with two elements that are vital uh, 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 parts of someone's life, a believer's life, who's walking in faith and has a faith working for them and through them. And that is this. The first one is the priority of prayer for the people of faith. In fact, uh, the these last few verses, let's see, from verse 13 all the way through 18, each verse deals with prayer. He's closing out with an important priority for men and women of faith. And let me just say, and we'll see as he reads through this, if we're going to walk by faith, if we're going to be men and women of faith, if we're going to have a faith that works not only for us but through us, it's going to do so by the power of prayer operating in our life. Could it get a better Amen. And so this just just, this just stirred my heart uh, all over again at the place of prayer as I began to realize Pastor James may be saying the last words he'll ever say. To These people, and he says, "Hey, if you're going basically here's pa- Pastor Sam's par- paraphrase, hey, if you're going to be men and women of faith, if you're going to have a faith that works for you and through you, you've got to be a people who plug into the priority of prayer in their life, and we'll see that here uh, and in fact I, I've, I've been reading a little bit of history that was written in the second century. in fact i've got if we have time tonight, I'm going to read you some history. Uh, that, that, that is the history of James' last hours of his life. Uh, but there's a, there's a historian, I think he, he lived in the second century. I think his name is, I couldn't, you, 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 or something like that. I, I, I dare not try to pronounce it. I, Ubesius or something. He's a, it, there's, he wrote history. He was a Christian historian. And this is what he said about James. Now, this is not Bible. I'm not reading the Bible here, but it's a quote from history. Someone who's giving the history of the church and who's mentioning Pastor James. In fact, uh, his name, they gave him name. What was his name? Uh, uh, James. They gave him a, uh, I can't remember. I'll, I'll look that up and let, let you know. They had a little name for him. James, the, not the great, but, I can't remember what they called him, but they, 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 he, his person made a huge impact and his prayer life made a huge impact. Here's what this historian said about James. His knees grew hard like camels because of his constant worship of God, kneeling and asking forgiveness for his people. Now that's a historical statement from someone who's giving us a history of Pastor James. Now that says a whole lot about this guy. It says he was a praying man so much that his knees became like camel's knees and he was worship he was a worshipper of God but he was always praying for the people. Now how many of you know that's the heart of a pastor? That's what convicted me. I went hi, yay yay yeah, yay yeah, yay. Yeah. You know as a pastor I go, oh, you know I I'd like to I'd like to spank a few of God's people. I'd like to, you know, I'd like to rebuke a few of God's people. And he did all that, but the heart of his life at the close of this book He gets us back to the priority of prayer. And from history, we know that he practiced what he preached. And his heart was for other people. And we'll see that tonight. And so here he jumps in. This is where he shifts gears. And I want you to see that. He says, is any among you suffering? Let him do what? Let him do what? Now, what do people normally do when they go through suffering? I mean, there, let's just talk out loud. Uh, When you suffer, what are some, what's some adjectives of people who suffer? What, come on, just help me. Complaining. What else? Blaming others. What else? Come on, it's group participation. Crying. Other thoughts. Suffer. Feeling sorry for yourself. All these things that we're, they're kind of the defaults of our life when we go through suffering. Like suffering, uh, you know, hey, as a Christian, I didn't know we're supposed to suffer. I, I You know, I, I, sometimes people are sold that bill of goods as, hey, when you give your life to Christ, it's Chevrolet and apple pie and woohoo, you know, uh, and God's blessing. But G, uh, James, the little brother of Jesus, he knew a lot about suffering. He saw his older brother, what? Suffer. And these, the church had come under persecution, and James came under persecution. In fact, uh, uh history, re- another historian, and I'm gonna read it if we have time, re- recorded his death, and it was one of suffering. This man died a martyr's death. He saw others die, um, Stephen die. He saw people suffering. So for him to say, is anybody suffering was not, well, you know, charismatic Christianity suffering. I don't claim that in the name of Jesus. He says, what do you do when you suffer? You pray. This ought to be the default of our life. When we go through the traumas of life, the default of our life should not be complaining, blaming, and all these things that are the default of our life. The default of our life should be one of prayer. If anyone's suffering, let him pray. I think of Jesus. How many of you know Jesus suffered? In fact, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus in the garden in his moment of greatest suffering prior to. And I'm not sure which was harder. The, the suffering of, of facing this crucifixion, because how I many of you know, even though he was all God, he was all man. And pain is still pain. And you know what he went, in Matthew, I think, 26 says he went before the Lord. He tried to get his disciples to go with him, and he prayed three times if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. You remember? And what were the disciples doing the whole time? They're sleeping. How many of you know sometimes in your suffering, your best friends will forsake you? That's why, that's why when you're suffering, the first thing you do is, come on, say it out loud. The first thing you do is pray. pray. Now we thank God for people who will help us, but sometimes people don't help us. Sometimes people don't understand. So, so the default of our life as people of faith who faith is going to work for us and through us, hey, we pray. And Jesus there in the garden going through suffering, Luke, I think, it might have been Mark, uh, his account said he suffered, his sweat was as great drops of blood. That's an actual physiological reaction to intense pressure and pain and suffering in someone's life. And Jesus got to that point. Interesting little side note. Three of the gospels record what he prayed, but none of them were there. They were all asleep. Ooh, da, 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 da. You want not know my hypothesis? He told them. I think possibly just my hypothesis, because there wasn't a lot of time between this moment and his suffering. I got a feeling the resurrected Christ Revealed the price he paid there, and now it's for was at forty days of intense discipleship training prior to his uh, ascension to the father uh, it's just my uh, three of the four record it very clearly, but none of them were there. just an interesting thought i'd never thought of it before until I thought of it uh, and so so he made sure they understood the intense uh, suffering he went through. But understand, we, as people of faith, uh, our, our suffering, uh, should always lead us to the place of praying. And here's what praying does. Praying in the midst, in the midst of suffering moves us into the will of God rather than out of the will of God. What was Jesus praying? If it's possible, let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And so, you gotta understand, suffering can, you know, you know, a lot of people suffering can make them bitter and mean. You ever met anybody who's suffering? It's kind of like the dog hitting the road. He's not dead. He can't move. And you try to help him. What does he do? <sighs> you know, good Lord, I'm trying to help you. But Jesus prayed and it moved him into the will of God. In fact, uh, uh, after that time of prayer, that time of suffering in the garden, uh, if you remember, uh, here come his accusers to take him. Uh, I think this is Luke records this. I love this story. Peter, how many of you know, I love Peter. This is before he denied the Lord. Here they come to get him, and Peter has a sword. And Peter takes a whack at one of them, and, he, and you know he's not going for the ear. He's just a bad swordsman. Cut off his ear. Am I right? I mean, you don't know, think Peter said, I'm cutting your ear off right now. I know he, he was going for something more than the ear. He just got the ear. I just love that. You got to put yourself there. And Jesus rebukes him and, of course, heals the guy. Uh, and then he says, don't you understand? Oh, go back to the garden. What did he say? If it's possible, let this cup pass for me. You know what he tells Peter right here? Don't you know I've got to drink the cup? How many of you know he had resigned himself? Hey, here comes Peter trying to defend him. No, 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 no. I got this settled. I got to drink this cup. That prayer time and time of suffering moved him definitively into God's will for his life. How many of you get that? Ooh, that just blesses me. Now, understand what it said. And, and here's the thing we need to learn about whether we're suffering or, as we'll see in a moment, Cheerful. We have the responsibility of engaging God in our behalf. If any among you is suffering, what does he do? Let him pray. Now, we'll learn that it's good that other people pray for us in a moment. But let me tell you something. If you're going to be a man or a woman of faith, that faith works through you and and, and works for you and through you. You got to understand that, hey, in times of struggle, in times of suffering, it's time to engage God at the place of prayer and, and move me further into God's will and plan for my life rather than allow this suffering, this trauma, this pain or this agony or whatever it is we're going through to move me away from God's purpose and plan for my life. Everyone say, if you're suffering, let him pray. And then, then he goes to the other side of the coin. Now, we're talking about the priority of prayer in the man and woman of faith's life. He said, if you're suffering, let him pray. And then he goes to the other side of the emotional uh, uh, spectrum. He said, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. In other words, let me just say it this way. How many of you know praise and thanksgiving are a key element of prayer in our life? He's talking about prayer right here. In fact, Did you know prayer is the doorway into the presence of God for our life? And the the doorway of prayer into the presence of God? What did Jesus teach us in Matthew 6? Our Father which art in heaven, what? Hallowed be thy name. That's the doorway. Praise and worship is the doorway into the presence of God. So here, catch this. Whether you're suffering or cheerful, a man or woman of faith must engage God at the place of prayer. Did you get that? If you got that, say amen. In other words, prayer is not just for the suffering times. How many of you know that's where most people's prayer life heats up? When you're cheerful, hey, let's go to Slotsky's. My Lord. But no, hey, if you're happy... Give God the glory and the credit and stay connected at the place of prayer. In fact, I love what Paul said in Philippians 4, 6. He said this, be anxious for nothing. Now, everybody ought to memorize this verse. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and thanksgiving, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. In other words, prayer and thanksgiving and praise, that's just a part of praying. So here we find, here we find Pastor James, old camel knees, who prayed so much and worshiped God so much That that he had camel knees, knees like camels, and always asking forgiveness for the people. That's and for you that came in late. That's what historians said about him, that his knees were like camels because he was always praying. So he comes to the close of this book and he says, Listen, men and women of faith, if you're going to, if you're gonna get if you're gonna get it, you've got to get prayer in your life. Whether you're suffering or whether you're happy, prayer has to be the priority of your life. Okay. If you're cheerful, let him sing, be thankful, man. Keep prayer at the forefront of your life. And then he says, he moves to another aspect of, uh, that all of us face on some level. Is anyone among you sick? Now here we get, here we go. You're engaging others to pray for you. Have you ever met anybody who's sick, but they don't want to, tell anybody they're sick and they just think, I'm not going to, hey, at some level you need to tell somebody, uh, especially someone who has some some spiritual seniority in your life, hey, I need prayer. If any among you sick, let him, there it is again, everyone say, let him. See, we have responsibility of engaging God at the place of prayer and engaging others in our behalf at the place of prayer. Amen? How many of you know the elders of the church don't get this by osmosis. They don't get this by tele, tele, what is it? Tele, telepathy. I started to say telepathy. <laughs> telepathy. They don't get it. I don't get it at home and all, all of a sudden go, oh, Amanda's got a cold. Pray for her. I, I don't get it. I don't do it that way. So, you understand what he's saying. Listen, you've got to stay engaged. It doesn't matter if you're, if you're suffering or cheerful or sick, wherever you are, you've got to engage God and engage the people of God at the place of prayer. Prayer changes everything. Amen? So, let's kind of walk through this, this descriptive. He said, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. What do they do? They anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, I love this. They'll anoint with oil. You know, there's no, there's some people say, well, there was medicinal value back then in the anointing of oil in, in, in the oil. Possibly, but not probably uh, for us. And most certainly I believe in this case, it, it's a, it's, it's the picture's worth a thousand words. And how many of you know the oil represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit in our life? And what's he saying here? Hey, you find somebody and let them, elder in the church, let them anoint you with oil and, and, and present for you a picture of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life and on your life. Because that's where, in fact, look what he says. It says in the prayer of faith will save the sick and who's gonna raise him up? The Lord will raise him up. Understand something, the oil did not heal, right? The elder did not heal. Who healed? The Lord. The elder had faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God, but the healing comes from God. This is just directives on how to get you to a place of healing in your life. It says, uh, let them anoint him with oil. Let, hey, it's just, let, let's, let's invite the presence of the Holy Spirit into our midst. If we're sick, we need the Holy Ghost in our life. Amen. That's just a simplistic perspective. And then he says the prayer of faith. I've always said this there's two different there's two kind of prayer war prayer there's prayer warriors and prayer warriors. There's not much difference in spelling but a whole lot of difference when it comes to results. And what's he what he's saying here you find you a prayer warrior. You find you an elder someone who who understands the prayer of faith. Now, uh let me just throw this out to you. Uh The evidence, I think, of faith is if somebody's willing to pray. Because if you don't have faith that God can heal, why would you pray? And so find somebody who's got some faith in their life, who believes that God can heal. An elder in the church who has experience and and relationship with God. And it, it says the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. Amen. I love that. And now, interesting little side note. And if they have committed sins, it will be forgiven them. Now let's ponder that a moment. Let me just let me. Uh, well, he goes on to say. Therefore, confess your trespasses to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Let me let me just throw this out to you. Sometimes people are sick because of sin. Not all the time. Aren't you glad? Now, I've met people who believe that if you're sick, you've got to be sin in your life somewhere. How many of you know Jesus proved that not to be true? In fact, uh, oh gosh, where was it? Luke, uh, I'm trying to think. John, John chapter 9. The disciples saw a blind man and they said, Jesus, who sinned? His mom or his daddy? Who sinned to make this guy blind? What did Jesus answer? Nobody sinned. Sin didn't make this guy blind but it was for the glory of God. And and, and of course, the blind man got healed. But, But that reveals the reality that even in Jesus' day, people equated sin with sickness. And I think that... And let me just throw this out to you. if We're going to see this in two places tonight. If you become... If you lean even as a Christian, you get back into a sinful nature and a sinful lifestyle and you don't deal with that. How many of you know you open yourself up to attack? You give an open door for the devil. And things in fact the Bible teaches it the works of the flesh in Galatians five, all kinds of you know terrible things, demonic things where do they, where's the open door? Our sinful flesh. Okay. And so, so James addresses this reality because let's go back, let's go back to what he said just a few verses ago. Uh, Man, these people are adulterers and adulteresses. They had slipped off into fleshly lifestyles. And so, I think partly why he throws this in is because undoubtedly the church had got into some sinful uh, lifestyle and and it had it made itself manifest in people's sickness. And he says, "Listen, men and women of faith, if you're going to live a life of faith that where faith works for you and through you, you've got to engage God at the place of prayer. And oh, by the way, if you've if you're if sin has is a part of the equation of your sickness, uh, guess what? This prayer life and what you do here can can deal with that thing, the root of the fruit." Because he says, therefore, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. In other words, hey, some people are sick because of sin in their life. So let's let's realize that. And he said, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Now, let me just throw this out to you. Confess your faults. Be careful who you share your issues with. It's kind of like the three preachers that had coffee all the time, the, you know, three different denominational preachers, and they thought, well, we, we need to have coffee and stay connected for the community's sake, and, you know, they, they built relationship, and after a while, you know, they, they got to trust each other a little bit, and finally, one day, the, one of the pastors said, you know, guys, we've been friends for a while now. I got to confess something to you, and they said, oh, okay, okay. You know, and he got kind of quiet, and he said, "I've been embezzling money from the church." We'll pray for you. We'll pray for you. another pastor. He got more comfortable, and he said, well, "Gosh, if you, hey, if you're going to, come, I got something I got to confess to." He said, "Well, what?" He said, "I've been fooling around with the church secretary." They went, "Oh, we'll pray for you." So finally, those two who had confessed kind of looked at the third one kind of going, he said, okay, okay, okay. I got to confess. I got a really bad case of gossip. It just won't get off of me. I gossip about everybody. Be careful who you confess to, okay? Find somebody who's righteous. Find some spiritual seniority in your life and confess your trespasses to one another. And what do you do? You pray for one another. Hey, what's he saying? (laughs) Listen, Pastor James is going. Hey, if you're suffering, you got to pray. If you're happy, you got to pray. If you're sick, you got to get somebody to pray for you and pray together. And oh, and by the way, if sin got in the game, let's pray for one another. Let's get this fixed. I'm preaching instead of teaching. I'm sorry. Because he says the effectual fervent prayer, I love this, of a righteous man does what? It avails much. That word effective or effectual fervent prayer, the root is, uh, that effective means, uh, it's where we get the word energy. An energetic, fervent prayer. In fact, other passages of the word fervent, uh, uh, the root, root meaning means hot to the point of boiling. We're talking about, Prayer power. We're talking about somebody, and this is this now this convicted me because as a pastor, sometimes how many of you ever done this? Somebody said, Would you pray for me? I've got this. And you go, Well, let's pray together. Hallelujah. Lord, we just thank you, Jesus, for this, touching them in Jesus' name, you know, whatever. And we go through the motion. When someone's life is on the line and we pray some kind of man be, pray, pan be blessed, guide it and hide it kind of prayer instead of just kick into high gear and go. And let me just say, let me throw that. See, I'm getting excited. It's the last. I love the word of God. In the church, there should be people who have so engaged God in their life that their their prayer life is heated up and their prayer life is effectual and fervent. Not somebody who's milquetoast. Well, Lord, if it be your will. Let me tell you something. People get onto the faith camp and I'm not a, uh, in the, in the strict sense, I'm not a, 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 I don't, I'm getting off too deep right here. I'm, I'm a man of faith, but there's certain theology that I don't adhere to. But let me tell you something. If, if I ever get sick, In a bad kind of way, I'm calling every faith person on planet earth that I know to pray these fervent prayers over my life because I know the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man who knows how to pray a prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. I want to find somebody who can engage God. And I got convicted this afternoon going, Lord, forgive me. When I pray for people that I don't engage you at the place of faith and heat up my spiritual prayer life for their sake. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Everyone say avails much. I love this word avails. It means can do. Now let me throw that in. The the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man can do much. Now, then he gives an illustration. Elijah was a man just like us, a natureless like ours. And he prayed earnestly. There's that effectual fervent prayer that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again and the heaven gave rain and the earth produced its fruit. You know what he's saying? Hey, he's just like us, but he engaged God at the place of prayer. And if you're sick, find somebody who can engage God at the place of prayer. Yeah, hey, Listen. I know people who have fought cancer one. and won, And I know one particular lady by the name of Mary Ellison, who's in heaven today, but uh, it, she didn't die of cancer. She got breast cancer and had radical surgery, had all kinds of treatments back. This was probably what, 15 years ago or more. Uh, I can't remember even longer than that. But I'm telling you, she was a woman of faith. And I'd say, Mary, how are you doing? She said, I'm healed and made whole in the name of Jesus. I'm telling you, you better not get around her and moan and complain. Uh, she surrounded herself with people of faith in her life. And I thought, Lord, I can't pray no man. I can't pray no, if it be thy will, Lord, he'll marry. I gotta heat it up in her behalf. And and we did, and she did, and she was a woman of faith. And hey, she kicked the big C and she lived a long time on the earth. Uh, and she was a woman of faith. And I, it's amazing. She was kind of a woman that get, uh, get under your skin a little bit. She was always... Kind Of, But man, I'm telling you, when I saw her face cancer, face to face with faith in her heart and and the positive word of God on her lips, I said, man, that's who I want to be like. I want to be like Mary. Amen. And so here, Pastor James is saying, hey, if you're sick, if you're cheerful, if you're suffering, engage God at the place of prayer. And find people who have a can do kind of attitude. That effectual, fervent prayer. That energetic prayer that avails much. Just like Elijah, who prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain. And so that was priority. That was priority number one. James, on his last few words to this church, if you're going to be a man or woman of faith where faith works through you and Works for you and through you. you got to engage God. The priority of prayer. It's got to be the default of your life. Now, now, if you don't get anything, this is not in your notes. If you don't get anything, prayer should be the default mode of our life. If we're sick, cheerful, suffering. Default, pray. Whoo. Amen. Hallelujah. Jesus taught this. By the way, he said, you got to have faith. If you see the mountain needs to be moved in your life, you pray, have faith. Without prayer and faith, no working. You can spit at it, confess it, be mad at it, rebuke it, but if you don't pray in faith, nothing's changing in your life. And if you're going to be men and women of faith, engage God at the place of prayer. I'm all convicted hope you are too. Amen. And then the second thing, the second part of this final words is not only the priority of prayer, but in the last two verses, the priority of our purpose. He closes with two somewhat controversial scriptures, which hopefully I will diffuse Any potential controversy that you might have. And he says this, brethren, if any among anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Now, let me just throw this out. Regardless of your theological position on whether a person can be can be born again and then loses salvation, the overarching Thought here has nothing to do with eternal security. It has everything to do with the responsibility of the church to reach out to people and do whatever you can to get them back to God. Are you with me and that's our prior, prior our that's our primary purpose in life. So, hey, Pastor James is closing. Hey, if you're going to be a man or woman of faith where faith works for you and through you, you've got to engage God at the place of prayer. It's got to be the default of your life. And number two, you've got to get back to the primary purpose of your life. What had happened to the churches? They'd got off and gotten fat and sassy and happy and, 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 and lost the cutting edge. Of their eternal purpose, and hey, it, it applies to our culture today. Because understand something: people look for churches like they're looking for restaurants. What what fits me? What helps me? What that? And it's me, 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 me. It's all about me, and and has very little to do with others. And James is shaking them back into. Hey, hey, listen. Get back to your primary purpose. And it's not about you. It's about others. People who are wandering. Now, Stacey Weir, come here. She has no idea what I'm about to ask her. You got to come over here because my microphone's over here. All right. anybody here ever had a child wander away from you? Stacy, give me the 30-second version of Ty getting lost at Disneyland. We were at Disney at, actually we were at Universal Studios. And we were right outside the Harry Potter ride. And we decided to go into the entrance. Well, we had gold passes to go all the way to the front of the line. We, it was probably 20 yards from where we were but the entrance of the ride. We get to the front of the ride and we realize Ty is not with us after miles of going up into the ride. Hundreds of hundreds of people were out <laughs> in the entrance, literally heart is sinking and Brent just takes off running. Scary. And what did you think? I thought he was out there crying and wondering where we were, thinking we'd left him and not knowing what to do. I was just. Did it scare the wood out of you? <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, thank you. That's all I needed here. <laughs> now, Pastor James is revealing the father's heart. Talking about wandering people. In fact, what was he, according to history, always praying? Praying for people who were sinning. He's worse, spent time, camel knees, praying, worshiping God and praying for others who were laden down with sins, who were wandering. Now, he had the heart of Jesus. What what did Jesus say in a parable? I think it's you remember the parable of the ninety the hundred sheep. If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one wanders away, he leaves the ninety nine goes fine. Why? Because O M G, one of my kids is, are out there all by themselves. They're wandering, and that's what over the overarching idea here, Pastor Pastor James is saying. Let's get the heart of Jesus for us. Let's look at them as our kids who wander away. And we think, you know, will I ever see them again? Now, I don't want to put this in there, you know, Stacy, but, but things start jumping through. Did somebody get him? Where is he? Is he hurt? Is he harmed? Is somebody harmed? I mean, what's going on with this wandering child? Where I'm telling you, there's a panic that sets over a parent when they lose their kids. And that's what Pastor James is trying to get into our heart. It has very little to do with your, with your theology and everything to do with, with your heart towards others. Okay? He's revealing. In fact, he wants us to have the heart of Jesus. He says, hey, hey, men of faith, women of faith, you got to have the heart of Jesus for others. And if they wander, go get them. Because if you get him, you can save a sinner. He turns a sinner from the error of his way and will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Wow. So that's the big part. Now, let me just, let me just break it down into two potential thoughts of who these people might be, these wanderers. Okay. Some say they're not true believers people who wander because, you know, it says you save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. And there's some validity and some reality to this. And what, what, what this potential position, theological position says that James was doing, there are those among you whose faith never really took root and never really grew. And as a result, they are still in their sin and they need to turn back from the error of their way. Now there's some validity to that. Let me just show you some 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 biblical validity. He says he says, "Brethren, if any among you wander from the truth." Some would say, "Well, there." He's talking about brothers in Christ. Well, the word "brethren" here has no reference to to uh, family relationship. He's just it's just like a generic, you know, "Hey, brothers." He's not. That's no reference to the genuineness of your faith. Okay, so so understand that that he's not necessarily talking. Uh, addressing Christian when he says brethren, uh, in fact, if you went to First John chapter two verse nineteen, he's talking. He, he, John talks about the spirit of Antichrist, and he mentions people who it says they went out from us, but they were not really of us. They were in our midst, but they were not of us. How many of you know that's there's a reality to that? You know, in fact, Billy Graham. I said, I think he said years ago that he said, "I fear that in in most evangelical churches, a large percentage of the people who think they are a Christian are on their way to a devil's hell because they never really had a genuine experience by faith with a resurrected Christ. They've had some religious issues." but no faith that really works in their life, okay? And so, as a result, what James is addressing here is those kind of people. In fact, the word, when they say wanders, it says, when let him who knows who turns a sinner, uh, uh, or, or if one wanders or strays, that word in a lot of places in Scripture describes the unbeliever who has rejected the truth. In fact, we have people that were here who have in our service in the last couple of years who are not here in our service today because they have chosen to reject the truth that Jesus is really real. And 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 James is saying, "Go get those people," because if you do, you you can turn turn them around. Now, whether or not they they were genuinely ever born again, and, and this particular posture is hey. Probably not. In fact, one theologian said the word sinner. When you look up the word sinner, uh, where it says "will save a sinner from the error of his way," in no other passage, old and new, does that ever directed towards someone who is validated as a genuine believer. How many of you know we all are sinners? But from one theologian's study, I didn't validate this. I took his word for it. Uh, I just hey, a, a few Romans chapter five verse eight says we were all sinners before we gave our life to Christ. It's it's a it's a descriptive of an unregenerate man or unregenerate person. Uh, the woman uh, who was caught in adultery, she was defined as a sinner. So so some would say. You know he's, these people that, that, that are wandering, they never really they never really had a genuine faith. So go get them and bring them if you can. And, and the reality is, from this particular position, wandering and straying is not a characteristic of a genuine Christian. It's just not. It's not the norm. I mean, once you're born again, somebody say, well, if you backslide, do you go to hell? I got a feeling most people who we'd say backslid never really front slid. That's kind of the position I'm addressing there. But then the other side of this thought is that they're wayward believers. Well, if they're wayward believers, then what does it mean that you save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins? I don't, let's go back to where, where we were about sin and sickness. What can sin do? It can make you sick. Everybody say sin can, sick. sin can make you sick. How many of you know sickness can make you die? I got a feeling all this is kind of connected here. I don't know what was going on in these people's life, but there might have been some sinners kicking off because they let, how many of you know, hey, if you, if you get immoral, and you contact a, 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 a sexually transmitted disease, you get AIDS, and, and you repent and get born again, uh, you may or may not get healed. In fact, did you know one of the I'm, I'm I'm backtracking? Did you know there's two erroneous mindsets about healing? One is this Jesus heals everybody. Wrong. In fact, what did Paul say about his thorn in the flesh? Some people think physical affliction. No, nope, my grace is sufficient for The other erroneous is God doesn't heal anybody. Wrong. Here's the reality for the believer. Some get healed in this life. Everybody gets healed in that life. Somebody say amen. So in the end, we all get healed, right? Everybody say he's a healer. But here we go, these wayward believers. Uh, It says you save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Uh, uh, My perspective of this, because I, I happen to personally believe through the study of the word of God that once you are his child, you cannot be unadopted from the family of God. And so my perspective of this, he, if he's talking to wayward believers, he's referencing the reality that, hey, these wayward believers who have, have, have turned from God and wandered purposefully away from him, they have, un, they have opened themselves up to sickness and death and disease in their life. And if we go and turn them back, we save them from all of that. And the overarching issue is, hey, Get get back to your primary purpose. And that's helping people get get to God. Get back to your primary purpose. Get back to my big brother's purpose. The Lord of glory, who the Bible says in John chapter 7. No, I'm, I'm misquoting it. He said, I think it's in Luke. He said, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And James, his little brother, says, get back to that. Get back to the primary purpose of your life. In fact, did you know Jesus prayed in John 17, just prior to his death, burial, and resurrection, he prays for the church? Did you know he prayed for you in John 17? Read John 17. It's a prayer for his disciples and a prayer for those who would believe because of them. He prayed for you. In John 17, on planet earth, before Jesus was crucified, he prayed for you. He said, I don't only pray for these, but I pray for those that will come because of their influence. And he said, as you sent me into the world, even so send I them. What was he sent in the world to do? To seek and to save that which was lost. And here comes James, uh, uh, Jesus' little brother James. And he says, oh, listen, hey, it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're suffering, you're sick, or you're happy. Uh, listen, re-engage God at the place of prayer in your life. That's what men and women of faith do. And get back to the primary purpose of the one who died. Died for us on Calvary's cross. My, oh, he doesn't say this. I'm just saying. Uh, my older brother, uh, the, the Lord of glory, the son of God who suffered so much that he sweat great drops of blood, crown of thorns on his head, spear in his side, <coughs> nails in his hand and his feet, paid the price for us. So get back to what he wants us to do in the first place. Amen.